0: All right, if you open up to Acts chapter 21, we'll pray, we'll start. I'm not going to read it, it's a rather lengthy chapter. I'd like to get through the whole thing. We'll see how it goes, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, won't you bless your word? I miss your word, and I have an idea. You've always blessed it in the past. Um, you want us to know it. You want us to treasure it. You want us to hide it in our heart. And so, Spirit of God, be glorified in in Lighting our way here this morning as we, as we work through your word. Uh, glorify Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Acts chapter 21. And it came to pass that after we had gotten from them, NIV says after we tore ourselves away from them. Because this was at, if you remember, they're at the beach of Miletus. He's meeting with the, uh, the elders of Ephesus that he loved so much. He spent almost three years there. Look at when verse 36 of chapter 20. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. This is a very tender moment. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him into the ship. Um, and it came to pass that after we had tore ourselves away from them. And we talked last week about love. The love we have one for another. Um, not my church, really not even your church, it's bloodbought. it's the church of Jesus Christ, where everyone owns it equally, and, who, they, and we love one another. Jesus says, that's how they'll know you're my disciples, the love you have one for another. And uh, I challenge you, because, you know, if you're like me, you know, the, our, our emotional love, it's kind of peaks and valleys, and it kind of, you know, some things happen, it sparks your heart. And, but I don't think that's Christian love. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. When the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it's not that God had a warm fuzzy for us or butterflies in his stomach or sweaty palms. It means that he determined that he was going to act in a self-sacrificial manner. And what does it look like? It looks like giving. God, who loves supremely, gave his very best, Jesus Christ. Now, if we're going to love one another, what does that look like? It looks like sacrifice. It looks like giving. It looks like your needs are more important than my needs. Your preferences are more important than my needs. Uh, you before me. Uh, how can I uh, act toward you in a self-sacrificial way? And, and, and they, outside, they'll know that we're the real deal. They know that we belong to Jesus because the world doesn't do this. The world, it, They know nothing about love. They sing about it. It's in their art, their entertainment, their music, and they have no idea what it's all about. Lead the way. Okay, so they peel themselves away, and and they got into the ship right back from uh, ver- uh, verse thirty-eight of chapter twenty, and so in and the, and they launched. We came with a straight course unto Coas. And the day following, unto Rhodes, and from thence to Patara, and finding a ship sailing over f- unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. What's this? It's a travel log. We went here, we went here, we went here. The first three ones, they're about 25, 30 miles of, of sailing between those, between uh, coast, between Rhodes, uh, between Rhodes and Patara, 25, 30 mile ish. Uh, Phoenicia, Phoenicia is 400 miles. Okay, that was a significant journey. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, uh, we left it on the left hand and sailed unto Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden. So it's a, it's a, it's a commercial ship that they got you know, paid fare and they got on. Uh, what's this left hand? We, 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 when we saw Cyprus, we left it on the left hand. North, south, east, or west? Because the NIV says one of those directions. South. Because here we're traveling east. Okay, think of this as north because that is about north, right? The road here is north and south, right? So that's north. So I'm traveling east, and if we leave Cyprus on the left, we're south of it. And just I just do those things. I, I don't know. Guys think in directions more than women. I'm, does that sound very sexist? I don't mean it to, but I, just, I noticed that. Like, if, if, if I say to a guy, hey, where's north? About nine in ten guys at any given moment can point to it. And women just don't think in, like, because I'll, I'll say, okay, when you go out of the driveway, turn north, and they'll say, I uh, will say, laughed, and you know what I mean. And I, okay, it's just one of the differences. Praise God, there are differences. I love them. I I celebrate them. Okay, e- equal, equal but different. Okay, that's how we. That's how we. And I'm not interested in keeping women down or you know, lording it over women. I I don't, I don't see that. But, but I'll go. Don't don't let me go off on that. So off they go. Uh, they land a tire. And what happens? And finding disciples. Now that blesses my heart. There's no, there's nothing in the book of Acts where it says that they had him. This is the end of their third missionary journey. There's nothing that says that they ever went to Tyre. No, Tyre's fallen a hard time. uh, Last I knew, that was Hezbollah's, the party of Allah. That's their headquarters. Is there Christians in Tyre now? I don't know. There may be. It's, It's Lebanon. There are Christians there. But it would be it would be tough. It'd be a tough place to to have a church to minister the gospel. Um, but at this time and finding disciples, what a blessing! So he's ministering here and there, and the the people he's ministering here and there and starting churches. They're going out and out and I mean, he might be a great 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 grandfather of churches. You know, i, I put it this way: my pastor is is uh, Chuck. My pastor is uh, Ken Graves, whose pastor is Chuck Smith. And if I'm your pastor, that makes Chuck Smith your great-grandpastor. And Ken would be your grandpa. I mean, if, if we looked at it that way, right? But I mean, how many generations of churches have sprung off at this point? We have no idea. This may be 25-ish to 30 years after Pentecost. Um, So we found disciples, which when we tarried there seven days, we hung out with the disciples who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So here we have this amazing gift of prophecy where people are able to tell the future and say, hey, 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 it's going to be real bad. Don't go to Jerusalem. They're warning him. And Paul's going to Jerusalem, by the way. Is Paul right or are the prophets right? And by the way, let me just put my cards on the table, okay? I won't sneak up on you later on and give you a little switcheroo. I believe... Paul is working in the spirit. Paul is spirit-filled, spirit-led, and he knows what's going to happen. And I'll show you why I, I think that when we get to the verse 10 and 11 here. And when we had taken our, uh, uh, and when we had uh, accomplished those days, those seven days, in verse 5, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. Because they used to do that when they had a, dig- a visiting dignitary. The, Accompanied them out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. See, was one. There's one thing that that's what they used to do. But this kneeling down on the shore and praying that's that's not that's specifically a Christian thing. We still kneel down and pray. Uh, the world doesn't so much. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. So now it's still kind of travelogue, you know, housekeeping kind of stuff. This is what we did, and this is what we did, and this is what we did. And then when we went here, we met with these. And the next day, uh, we, were, uh, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. Now, there's a lot of, this is pregnant with meaning. Uh, Luke just says, you know, kind of again, housekeeping kind of stuff. Okay, we we went to Caesarea, we went to this guy, Philip's house, but he's one of the seven. He used to be Philip the deacon in Acts chapter 6. Now he's Philip the evangelist. Why? What happened? Because remember God, uh, when... when, um, Paul came, and he was stirring up the churches, and it was so much persecution that what happened was is that everyone fled and went in all different directions, and Philip was one of the ones who fled, and so he went up to Samaria, and he started. He had this revival going on. People were getting saved, and the spirit was moving, and miracles happened. You remember that? And right in the middle of it, the Spirit of God said, hey, Philip, I want you to go down to the Gaza, down to the desert, and he... Uh, we, we run into the, the Ethiopian eunuch, that story there. That was Philip who led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. You remember that? And then later on, he was, he was raptured away. He was taken, and he wasn't all of a sudden. He's, the, remember the whole story? He baptizes the, the eunuch. He comes up out of the water, and the Spirit takes Philip away. He, he raptures him, if, if you will. And where does he end up? Uh, Azotus. Which means, by the way, thief. Like you mean, like thief in the night? Yeah, isn't that kind of funny how that works? Uh, when I mean funny, I mean not funny at all. The Holy Spirit, and I've said this before, engages in puns and wordplay all throughout Scripture. So that's the last we see him. And then he's up in the coast and he's preaching. And uh, you may start out a deacon. Does that mean you're you going to be a deacon forever? No. You could move from deacon to evangelist. Uh, God will use you at, at different times in your life to do different ministry. And again, God gets to, to, to say that. Is from deacon to uh, evangelist to promotion? No, no, no. Wh- wherever God has you, that's the top of where He wants you. And then if He moves you into another place, that's just He slots you in another way. There's not like, I don't want you to think in terms of like, you know, if, if, if you're an elder here and we say, no, I think you're better suited as a deacon. That's not a demotion. I mean, it's it's just not. Just God moving people. I always say he can move the chess pieces around the board like he sees fit. He's God. We let him do that. Isn't that just the way it works? So he was one of the seven, right? And now he was scattered when Paul starts his Saul of Tarsus, back then we knew him as. He starts this insane. He's putting people in prison. If we get far enough, we'll see this. Maybe it'll be next week. He's persecuting people to death. He's throwing people in jail. He's making them blaspheme at the point of a sword. This man is crazy. Now he's at the house of someone who he persecuted. Have you had tea lately with someone who tried to kill you? Do you, know, do you understand all the dynamics going on here? Is there forgiveness here? I mean, I, yeah, the elephant in the room, right? Uh, does, does Philip at some point, dude, you are crazy? And, and Paul's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I know. I, was, I didn't know Jesus. I, was, I thought I was doing God a favor. I know. I know. I, listen, I'm so sorry. And Philip's like, ah, don't worry about it. Have some tea, you know? And they were, they're, they're, they're brothers, they're soulmates. They're, listen, forgiveness had to happen. They stayed at his house for several days. You think the whole time Philip's there with stink eye looking at Paul saying, yeah, you rat, you miserable. No, no, no. We don't do like that as Christians. We, Again, I don't know if somebody tried to kill you recently. What's the answer? Forgiveness. There's still people wrestling with bitterness. And that all that tells me is you don't understand what forgiveness means. When I uh, forgive somebody, like... and. Look, I'm not going out of the way. This is what this passage is about. I'm not going out of the way. Look, when I forgive somebody, I do that on faith. Somebody worked me over. I mean, I never saw it coming, that knife. In the back. Oh, oh, never saw it. What do you do? Forgive. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. Well, that's a foregone conclusion. Because I, I tell somebody this, and I always try to tell me what the other person did that was so hor- horrific. Listen, I promise you, I promise you I believe you I promise you, I do, that they would treated you badly as a lesson in foregone conclusions. And what's the answer? Free yourself from bitterness. Forgive by faith. Do you feel better about what they did? No, never. Only never. Well, I can't forget. You forgive and forget. Just that's a God thing, where God says, "I put." You know, I take your sins, I, I throw them in the deepest part of the ocean. I remove them as far as the east is, is from the west. Your sins and your iniquities I will, I will remember no more. God can do that. And maybe he can heal your memory. I don't know. I know what people have done to me. I'm not unaware of it. And when I say forget about it, what I'm saying is I ain't going to bring it up anymore. That was then. That was past. It's, 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 we're not dealing with that anymore. That's all I'm saying. And then, and then what happens? The love of God fills my heart and my soul, and God is well pleased. And I'm never so godly in my life as when I forgive somebody from my heart, best I know how, in faith. Don't wait to feel good about it. When's that gonna happen? Like never. It's a faith thing. And don't explain to me why you can't step out in faith. I, I well, I, they don't deserve it, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, then keep being bitter. I'm, I don't have any other. It always leads to bitterness, and I don't have any. I don't know any other scripture. I don't know any other way to free you from bitterness other than forgiveness. Yeah, but they were horrible. Amen. I agree. Nobody should ever treat me like. Nobody should ever treat anyone like that. I agree. I agree. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm working at it. No, just take it one step. Like, you don't work at your salvation. It's a step of faith. So is this. So this is what happens. I mean, look at it. He's, he's in, he, he tried to kill me. <laughs> he, he would have killed me if I, if I let him. I got away. Now he's got a new life. He's married, obviously. He's got four. Uh, verse 9, the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. That's remarkable. Were they quadruples? I don't think so. Uh, two sets of twins. No, oh, I think it's just four daughters. And the word could mean unmarried, but in, in that culture, in that time, unmarried and virgin were synonymous. Large hint. No, not large hint. Let me state it outright. If you're not married, you're supposed to be a virgin. You're supposed to wait until you're married. You say, ah, that ship had sailed. You can't unring a bell. Hey, from this moment on, commit yourself to Jesus Christ. Outside of marriage. So sex is wonderful. We're not against that here. Only outside of marriage. I'm a, I'm going to teach you on the Song of Solomon. It's about It's about... Love in marriage. Yeah, I'll just say it that way. Wonderful. Thank God. Wonderful gift in marriage. Outside of marriage, oh, it's a fire that just burns every which way and you can't contain it. It's horrible. This guy had four daughters, and they did prophesy. They had the gift of prophecy. Now I'm prophesying now, according to the Bible, telling you what the word it's a forth telling. I don't have the gift of prophecy. I've joked before. We're a nonprofit organization. I'm not against prophecy. It is a legitimate gift of God. Here it is. We have no reason to believe it's just a New Testament thing and then when the close of the canon, that gift ended. I know there are those who believe it. They don't really have any biblical support of that. We can debate it as long as you want. You're not going to show me a verse and you're going to show me uh, I, know, I know the whole argument. 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away with. That which is perfect has come. If you think that's the completion of canon, you're not going to sell me on that concept. And then that which is in part now, you're going to have to define what in part is. You get, you get to say, well, tongues, well, prophecy, well, uh, and, and the gifts that you're not quite comfortable with, working of miracles, things like that, you can say that was in part, and you get to decide, no, I, that's another tough sell. You ain't going to do it. I ain't going to buy into either one of them. So this is what the norm of the New Testament is. Do we see this all the time? No, I, st- I still see this. It's not common. Okay, I remember one time, uh, and, I, and I asked, because we were talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, speaking in tongues is a lot more common. And I asked, how many people here feel they have the gift of interpretation of tongues? I have one hand. It's not a common thing. This here is not a common thing. But he had four daughters, and they could all prophesy. Verse 10, as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judah, Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. We ran into him before. Do you, does anyone remember? Does anyone remember Agabus? Okay, it was Acts chapter 11. Agabus was prophesying to Paul, and he was saying to the, Paul's company, he said, there's going to be a dearth in all the land. And then they took up a special offering for those in Judea, the ones who were suffering and so uh, that man Agabus he's the real deal because he prophesied that and it came to pass now we see him again and I like Agabus he's kind of got like a lot of drama okay he's like this old kind of prophet well Jeremiah did this you remember Jeremiah when he prophesies and he has the yoke and he puts himself in a yoke and he says like thus saith the Lord you know this is how you're going to be you know yoked and taken off to Babylon and you know the the Jeremiah did this a lot. You remember the linen belt that he buried at the Euphrates? I mean, he did this a lot. There was like word pictures or or pictures that an actual events that kind of this is how it's going to be. Well, Agabus is Agabus is the same kind of guy. Now, he comes and he gives his prophecy to Paul why well, not just one of the daughters there? I mean, you got four daughters, right? Get, uh, each one of them give them twenty-five percent of the message. It just flow. It'd be great. Now, because God gets to call how it goes. He has four daughters, all capable of prophesying. And why is Paul like sexist? Won't listen to women? I don't think that's it at all. I think God says, "Oh, well, this is how I want it to go." D- it, isn't that funny? I I don't know. I don't want to make a major point of this, but. God says, oh, no, 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 I want Agabus to deliver this message. I don't get to say how my, what my life looks like. Hey, Lord, how about me? I can do that. And he's like, mm, I'll, I'll let you know what, what I want from you when I want it. Like, are, are these four girls saying, what, what are we, chopped liver or something? Uh, I just think God's just being God. Anyway, for, for whatever reason, so Agabus came. And verse 11, when he had come into us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, thus saith, see, he's kind of dramatic, isn't he? Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He took Paul's girdle. Girdle, sash, belt, right? There's this thing, I don't even, do they sell girdles anymore? I don't even know if they have such a thing. They don't sell corsets, I know that, right? Or bustles or any, of that. there's a lot of old clothing falling fallen by the wayside. Girdle is something when you're like, Supposed to make it, you cinch it up and it makes you smaller, okay, right? It's a girl's garment. Guys, guys don't have girdles because guess what? Guys don't care. We just go. We don't have any. No, I got to pretend that I'm thinner than I actually am. We we don't care. Uh, so, but it was and and this isn't a girdle. It, like I say, it's a sash or a belt. Okay, kind of. You know, remember they're kind of like have this like robe they call it. I I think it's a dress, but okay. And you kinda tie it around here, cinch it up, right? You would do that. And that this is way so he takes this and he says, The guy who owns this, he's gonna be tied up just like this. And Paul says, Well I'm glad I borrowed that off Luke. I didn't even mind. I'm I'm all good no. He it's his and he and and so the 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 prophecy is like, hey you're gonna be bound just like the guy who owns this. Uh And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Did Agabus say, don't go to Jerusalem? No. I think this is people's natural and well-meaning response to this prophecy. Hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get arrested and thrown in jail. Paul, don't do it. We love you. Don't. I get it. It's very well-meaning. I think their heart is in the right place. But look at Paul's response, and I think Paul's correct here. Paul answered, "What, what means he to weep and to break mine heart? What he's doing? I, I stop. Well, yeah, I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord." Okay, I get it god 's preparing me he 's not warning me don't go he 's preparing my heart so that when I get there I know what's going to because sometimes God does that in our lives. He lets us know what 's going to come to pass. I, I like that, I like to be aware he doesn 't do it all the time. Here he does, and paul 's like i don 't care about prison what do you i 'm going to write some prison epistles. I'm going to be, there's a Caesar in my future that i got to go and tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's kings I haven't testified to. I know what my calling is. Uh, death, what do I care? I, I, we talked about last week, about well, two weeks ago, what godly leadership looks like. And part of it is just fearlessness. And a dogged determination. I'm going to do God's will at all costs. And here, Paul's like, What are you you guys trying to break my heart? I I am so prepared for this. And when he would not be persuaded, what is that saying? They're trying to persuade him, dissuade him. We ceased, saying the will of the Lord be done. And sometimes that's all you can do. You can just commend people to God. You can't. And after these days, we took up our carriages, went to Jerusalem. Uh, There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought... With them, one Manan, Man, uh, Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple which whom we should lodge. <laughs> old disciple. He's saying, thanks, you know. Now, he's not old like me. He's a new, uh, uh, one of the, uh, early, early disciple. Okay? He might not have been saved as long as I am. For at You know, well, coming close to 40 years, 39. February is 30, my 39th. Uh, he, he probably not that because Pentecost is only twenty five to thirty years earlier than this, and if he even, even was with like Jesus, one of the disciples of Jesus, I'm not talking about one of the twelve, one of the ones that he converted to Christianity, or even John the Baptist, we're only adding a couple, three, maybe four years at the top. So he he came to, to faith early on, uh, and so so he he goes with. Goes with who? Well, I'm going to remind you. Go back to chapter 20. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, Uh, chapter 20, verse 4. Sopater of Berea and of uh, of the Thessalonians... Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. Well, Trophimus they, makes it to Jerusalem. And how many of these guys? We don't exactly know because they, they're letting some off, taking in others. And who knows? They, Paul, uh, Luke just keeps saying us. Uh, so we know Luke's along. We know Paul is the main character in the story. And then, like I say, um, we'll find out Trophimus is with him. But who else? We don't exactly know. Uh, we know at this point this... Uh, Nason of Cyprus, he, he goes with. And when we come to Jerusalem, the brethren gladly rece- the, the, the brethren received us gladly. This may be Luke's first time in Jerusalem. We don't know. I think this is a big deal. Has Trophimus been to Jerusalem? Has any of these guys been to Jerusalem? They're meeting some of the 12. They're meeting James, the Lord's brother. Is that like a big, would that be a big treat for you? you wait, you're his brother? Or half-brother. Oh. Uh, well, Really? So, what was it like growing up with a perfect older brother who just happened to be God? I mean, that kind of be a big red letter day in your life. I think I'd like to meet James. And this is after the book of James has already been written. Uh, most people think. And we came to Jerusalem. The brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. What do those elders look like? Is Peter there? Is John there? Who knows? Uh, I I would think that was a big deal. And I bet they're very excited. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. A blow-by-blow account. He didn't leave out anything. And the, 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 the verbiage there indicates that he told them as much as he could tell them. And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord. Because that's how it goes with a testimony. When God's working and and God's moving and God's doing things. We always end up glorifying him. Isn't he awesome? Look at how he's, he's, he's turning the whole world into to his son. They glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is a problem. It's going to be a problem. Zealous of the law? Why? You keep Jewish traditions as a Christian, you can. You can do Jewish dietary laws. hope you don't think that makes you any more holy. It may or may not make you more healthy i I don't know. yeah, and if it makes you more healthy, guess what? You're still going to die all right? You ain't going to beat the the grave uh, you will, you will be you will beat the grave if you're raptured. If you're not raptured, everyone's going to have a uh, meeting with the undertaker. That's just the way it is. Um, do you, do you want to keep Sabbath? I don't work on Sabbath. I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. God bless you. We talked about that at length in the past. So they're, they're Christians, they're born again, and they're keeping Jewish traditions. Oh, how far reaching is that? You remember Paul shaved his head, and I think it was a century, and he made a vow. Paul did that. I think it was a mistake. I think this is a mistake. That temple that they're all going to is their mark for destruction God's saying mm. it's not clear cut have you guys not been teaching them what we found out in Acts chapter 15 refrain from you know uh, don't what was it uh, no idolatry uh, no fornication refrain from uh, things strangled and from blood remember that haven't you guys been teaching them? We're not doing any of that. Um, should Jewish babies who are Christian should they still be circumcised? Paul makes quite a listen. If, 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 if you have children who are circumcised, you know what I think about that? Great. Or if your children aren't, great. You know, there may, there may or may not be a, a health benefit there. Some doctors say yes, some say no. <laughs> I don't care what you're pushing, what you're touting. You'll get doctors on both sides of them. It's called the practice of medicine. They ain't perfected it yet. They're still practicing. You know what I mean? You're talking to you talk, a diet. Well, this is the best thing in the world. You eat that? You're crazy. You're just headed for, you know. Uh, you know how it is. You'll always find someone who agree with you. Um, but I don't want you keeping Jewish practices for the sake of thinking you're holier or somehow better. or that, That's wrong. We're brought close to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, period. And if you're an uh, uncircumcised male and you get saved, put the, put the knife down. <laughs> you don't have to. Just and we're not more holy by keeping Jewish tradition. And here we got a lot of people who are very, very zealous for the law. I think it's a mistake. I think it's a problem. Is it going to be here? Well, let's keep going. Um, We have a lot of brothers here, thousands of Jews. They believe, verse 20, so the Christians, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. Paul's not teaching that. I'm proposing he should. (laughs) I make a distinction? We're Christians. We don't do Jewish tradition as a line of demarcation. But Paul never does that. Paul said, hey, you want to keep the Sabbath? My blessing. Oh, you think all days are holy to the Lord? Good for you. Uh, You don't want to eat meat? Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, you're a meat eater? God bless you. That's Paul. That's what he's been teaching. You want me to show you all the verses? I think we know them all. No, I haven't been telling people not not to get circumcised and, and forsake the law. I do tell Gentiles, hey, once you are saved, you don't have to be circumcised. It's not going to make you any holier whatsoever. And that is the message of Paul. Um, it's, it's fuzzy, isn't it? It's not crystal clear. I think Paul should say, forget about it. You're not going to be righteous by the law. And leave it at that. But he lets people with their Christian conscience. We have to do the same thing. Right? I can make a biblical case against drinking. But I can't. I can't say you can't drink as a Christian. I can't do it. I wish I could, <laughs> but that's my bias. It's not the Bible. I can't. I can't tell you to be a vegan or a, or a, a vegetarian or you know you should be an omnivore. I can't. I, I can't make. I can't make those. I have my own preferences, and and we'll just have to leave them as my preferences, huh? What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. What kind of vow? Probably a Nazarite vow. We talked about it. was the kind Paul had, right? Them take and purify thyself with them and be at charges for them. Pick up the tab. Be at charges. I want you to pay their way. What way? That they may, have their, uh, they may shave their heads because that costs money. And all may know that those things were, there, were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. There's going to be an offering involved here. Now, I've read commentary, and they say, don't you worry, these offerings that involve have nothing to do with salvation. And I'm thinking, duh, no sacrifice has anything to do with salvation. You never, you never could sacrifice an animal that would save you. But they say none of them have to do with redemption or salvation or all sacrifices. When we get into Leviticus, we'll see this. Our picture of Jesus Christ. But there are some like consecration offerings, sin offerings, fellowship offerings. There's food and drink offerings. There's peace offerings. There's uh, I I don't know if I named them all. they, They would make a peace offering and a lamb. They would take a lamb to the temple and it would be. Kill, but it wasn't about redemption, it wasn't like it covered their sin or anything because they say Paul would never do that. But it's a peace offering. In other words, we kill this animal, now we have peace with God. Wait. Paul. Remember that temple's earmarked for destruction. When the temple is destroyed, don't you think God's loud and clear saying, can you hear me now? I'm not against animals being slaughtered. I hunt, okay? I've, I've killed animals before. That's not the issue. I don't kill them, shed their blood for sacrificial religious system. Not even for peace offerings. And I love lamb, okay? That's not the issue either. You could butcher a lamb and cut it up and put it on the barbecue, and if you do that, invite me. I love lamb. But we don't do that for any sort of religious reason. Our peace is a peace offering. Our peace is with Jesus. It's because what Jesus did on the cross, he gives us peace. He has become our peace. We have peace with God. We have peace with one another. He's broken down the middle wall of partition, we understand in Ephesians. What are you doing, Paul? This isn't quite clear. What? Well, this has not got anything to do with redemption. This has to do with, with what? There's not an offering that, doesn't, that Jesus hasn't completed on the cross. Everything Jesus do, has done, to put the knife down when it comes to that little, that little animal there. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about, again, you've got a slaughterhouse and people are making hot dogs or whatever. That, that, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as a religious observant the shedding of blood that you would be right with God, that you would be sanctified by God, that your sins would go away or anything like that. It's all done, completed in Christ. That it is finished has is much more multifaceted than probably any of us could could call to mind could think it all the way through. You have peace with God. Look at what I've done. There's nothing between you and God now. Jesus emphasized that, emphasized that how, do you, how do you, the the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. Now we have veil menders. I mean, sacrifice still went on. They still did Yom Kippur. For how many years later? I'm not a veil mender, I'm not trying to stand between you and God. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I don't have like a priest function in the sense like you know. I will. I will like you know. Old Testament like Aaronic priesthood. You know. I will go into the holy of holies on your behalf, and I will shed blood and you know to atone to cover. You. No. Oh, you're a priest. You get to do that, and I am not a veil mender. I think that is. That just makes me throw up in my mouth. It's just disgusting that people would try to be between you and God. So pay their charges, and everyone will see that you walk orderly and you keep the law, verse 24. As touching the Gentiles, which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. That's correct for the Gentiles, but isn't it for all Christians? save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from strangling, from fornication. We got the message, Paul. We decided that. We decided that Gentiles are going to do that. But we haven't been teaching our own people that's all they need to to maintain. Because they're Jewish and they're keeping all the Jewish stuff. And it's, it's kind of like, so look, look what happens. Paul took the men the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple. That's temple precincts. They didn't go into the Holy of Holies or even into the, in the temple proper we're talking about you know the inner court the okay to signify the the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them an offering an offering you should recoil in horror a christian making an offering jesus is our offering hmm and when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were in Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stir up all the people and laid hands on him. Okay. So he comes out of the corner, <laughs> ostensibly, and there's Jewish people who stoned him at Derby or threw him in a prison at, at, at uh, Philippi or one of these many, many who persecuted him all through the empire who are still Jewish, who've come. Because you remember, he kept going to the synagogues first, and he met with some people got saved, and a lot of resistance, right? We've seen this time and time again. Well, some of those resistors who never came, are still Jewish, they come to the temple, they find Paul, and they freak out. They were trying to kill him in, in their hometown. Now they're at Jerusalem, so they see each other, and they're still freaking out. They lay hands on him. That's not for blessing or for prayer. That means they assaulted him. They grabbed hold of him. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and against the law and this place. And further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. Would Paul do that? No. No. He would never do that. He wouldn't bring Gentiles into... There's a sign at this time that they have the outer court, the court of the women, and the court of Gentiles is the same where Gentile men can't go past a certain point. And it says in, lat, uh, in uh, 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 a sign in Latin and Greek and several languages, you go past this point, you have no one to blame for your, your death except for yourself. Would Paul bring people into the into the precincts past that sign? Of course he wouldn't. But doesn't that just tell you that he shouldn't be there either? I'm I'm fellowship with these my Gentile buds, right? We're hanging around, we're having a good time, you know. We're eating sausage and pork roll and just you know, and ha- and just like you know, fellowship and it's all sweet and the spirit of God is. There's no wall of partition anymore. And then I go to a place, and say, "Oh, you got to stay here. I'll go inside here, but you got to." Really? Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know? And sides, they're accusing him anyway of doing, uh, the, he, he would never. He would never do that. But if he wouldn't do that, why is he there? Doesn't that, aren't there alarm bells going off in, a, in somebody's head where like, I can do this, but you can't. We're still doing religion here. We're still it's still the old way. It's still the old custom. It's still the and God's so much. He's moved past Jew and Gentile. Listen, we're going to uh, study this tonight and next few weeks in uh, the book of um, both uh, First Kings and it's funny because we're building the temple in one we're building the tabernacle in the other and and this that wall that you can't this here and know. The priest can go here. The high priest can go here. Uh, the, the women, the Gentiles can go here. And you can't, there's a petition. You can't come to the Holy of Holies. You can't come into the presence of God. We're going to see that on, on tonight if, if it doesn't snow. That, that, that they're, they're in the mountain and Moses is there and some of the elders are there. Some people can't even touch the mountain. Never mind climb up it. Never mind be welcome into the presence of God. Aren't you so happy that you're living in a time where God says, oh come unto me. All you labor and are heavy laden. Uh, He always says, hey, draw near. I'll draw near to you. Is there a a place where God says, here and no further? God's establishing his holiness in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the the veil's been rent. The wall's been torn down. There is nothing holding us away from God except our own reticence. But that's on you. That's on me. Here, oh, they they got, they they got Greeks in here. They've polluted this holy place. And they're crying, uh, shouting out. For, when they, for they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus in Ephesian, whom they supposed, ah, uh, they supposed Paul had brought into the temple. Paul's about to get torn in a million pieces on their supposition. They're wrong. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together. And he took Paul and drew him out of the temple. And forthwith the doors were shut. As they went about to kill him, <laughs> like how Paul, Luke just mentioned. Oh yeah, they're trying to kill him. You know, uh, not much fanfare, just an- announcing the facts. Right? Tidings came into the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. The, the band there is the uh, the um, Roman, the Romans there who are trying to keep peace. At the feast in Jerusalem, the city swells to two to three million, depending on which feast it is, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down under them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. <laughs> good. Paul's thinking, "Amen, glad you're here. Uh, imagine Paul. Here, here we go again. This time he's in the temple. Hey, was that a good idea? You guys, hey, do this, and everyone will know that. What did they know? He still falsely accused but I think he kind of set it up himself he should have said that's a bad idea I'm submissive to your uh, your suggestions I'm not on my own but that doesn't have the ring of truth I don't think that's a good idea at all I'm just going to keep telling saying what I've always said if you're Jewish and you want to do that sort of stuff well, praise the Lord do what you feel like God's calling you to do Me, I'm going to be over having some pork chops at my, my Gentile friends. And the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty of the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. So they carried him because everyone's trying to kill him. It's kind of like they body surf him, right? A group of soldiers holding him up overhead, right? And people are. Uh, And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people, right? For the multitude of people followed after, crying away with him. Not take him out of the city, take him off the earth is what they're saying. And as Paul was uh, to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto thee, who said, canst thou speak Greek? Paul is probably very cosmopolitan, very educated, probably can speak a, a whole group of languages. Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar and led us out in, uh, unto the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? So this obviously was th- that was happening that day and the the commander assumes that that's what's going on now. You're that guy, right? No. Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. Mean city sounds like Boston or Philadelphia or something. It means no insignificant city, okay? Uh, I was, I was, uh, I'm Jewish. I'm of Tarsus. Um, I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Paul is insane, and I love him for it. Paul's one of my favorite Bible characters. Is this, are you, he's going to be one of yours, too. He's like, listen, I want to talk to the pe- They've never seen a multitude like this before. He's never had a group uh, that he could address like this. And he, they're, trying to, they're trying to kill him to death. So when you just kind of like ball up into the fetal position, thanks for saving me, get me out of here. Paul's like, no, 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 I can't let this opportunity pass because he has a single heart. I want to reach the whole world for Jesus Christ. And if I die, I die. He don't care about that. None of these things move me. All I want is an opportunity to speak and When he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and and beckoned with his hand unto the people, and there was made a great silence. He spoke unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, "Well, what did he say? Well, we have to wait till next week. Cliffhanger. Be here next week. Listen, our time's spent, and it's kind of like, but we'll we'll talk about his defense. But just think about it. Uh, I'm sure he's praising God." Okay, they try to kill me, good enough, but I'm going to have a chance to share the gospel and boy, they're going to hear it. And we'll find out later, he causes two riots, okay? With Paul, usually one riot is kind of his max. He causes two riots. And Jesus comes and visits and said, man, you did great. You did great. Why do I think that he was being moved by the Spirit of God? Because Jesus comes and tells him what a great job he did. If he's in the flesh and in disobedience, does Jesus come basically when you're absolutely positively doing things, everything you want to do, does God come and say, pat you on the back and say, keep up the great work? No. I think he's moving in the spirit. I think this is all according to the plan of God. Um, did he have to go ahead and be at the temple and pay those guys' way? and do? I don't uh Make the, your own decisions on these things, okay? You can disagree with me on these things. Many do. Many do. But just remember this. wherever We're not, we're not sacrificing sheep here, okay? We're not, we're not doing that, okay? Uh, everything that could be done on our behalf has been done. The cross changes literally everything. Everything. We're not held away from God's at arm length anymore. Why, why can't we be with God? Why can't we? Because he's holy. He's, he's totally separate from sin. Say, we could never fellowship with him. Yes, we can through Jesus Christ. You're not sinful. You're a child of God. Well, I still sin. I know. Ask forgiveness. That's all I do, right? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm messing up. Oh, Lord, that was so wrong. He said, like, I know, I know. And then we're, <laughs> again, we're in fellowship. We're, we're right, I j- it, it's, it's, it's too easy. Thank you, Lord, for just bringing us close. For, for, for We're right at arm's length. We're right there, right handy, right as close as we want to be. Let's stand, let's pray. The guys will come and send us out of here in song. Lord, whatever we make of this chapter, we're thinking about the, the veil rent in twain from top to bottom and the way to your very presence is made open. I'm sure of that one thing for sure. And Lord Jesus, what an awesome thing you've done for us, for, our, for, for giving us that eternal life and for all things pertaining to life and godliness. We can't add to it. There's nothing we can do except embrace this great sacrifice that you've, you've made on our behalf. And Lord, you've, you've called us, come, come close. And we would, we would, we would hearken to that call, Lord. We would, we would fellowship with you. We would, we would be close. Draw us to yourself now, Lord, in, in Jesus' name, amen. It is our desire to get God's word out to all, so our podcast and everything else downloaded from our website is free. But we do have expenses, and if you feel led to give a dollar for this resource, please go ahead and click the Give tab on our website at plowboyministries.org. Grace and peace. And everything I want, how oh dear, I count it all as long. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out.